Today I've got my lovely wife of 16 years with me, Tiffany, as we wrap up the series together and answering a lot of questions that were submitted. And here's what we decided to do. Uh, the questions were just all over the map. On So what we had to do, just, we just said, here's what we're going to do, is we're going to answer, we got two questions, and as we answer these two questions and expand and expound on them, we will hit a lot of the questions uh, that were asked. And so here's the two questions that we're going to answer today. What should you look for in a spouse? And a lot of questions were wrapped up uh, in, that, in, that, in that particular question there. And the second question we're going to answer is, what are the ingredients to a successful God-honoring marriage? And a lot of questions were wrapped up in that question as well. So let's get to it today and let's answer some questions. What should you look for in a spouse? And the first and the very most important thing that you want to look to and look for, and we've got a lot of singles in our church, about, about half of our church or so is comprised of singles, or you're a, a parent of a teenager or a 20-something-year-old or junior high student. Listen, you're, you're thinking, that who do they need to marry? What should we be looking for? The first thing is you want to marry a Christian. Marry a Christian. The scripture says this in 2 Corinthians chapter 6 and verse 14. It says, do not be yoked together with unbelievers, or, or we call it unequally yoked. For what do righteousness and wickedness have in common, or what fellowship can light have with darkness? The Bible teaches this principle, don't be unequally yoked. And one of the questions someone wanted to know, well, and they were just open. I want to marry who God has for me. I'm open to whoever, whomever it is. Is it okay to marry somebody of another nationality, of another culture, of another race? And, and honestly, Tiffany and I, are, get, are we are against interracial marriages. We're against them. So that's, that's our stance. Um, moving right along. So no, no, no. Here, here's scripturally, we're about the Bible. We're about what the Bible says. And and here's what the Bible teaches. The Bible teaches you want to marry a Christian. Now, in the Old Testament, God did tell his people Israel, don't intermarry. Don't marry people of the other nations, of, of the other people groups, because the other nations that God was trying to do is trying to protect his people who were worshiping the one and true God. And there were other nations worshiping false gods. They were worshiping rock gods and stone gods and all types of other gods. And God wanted his people to worship the one true God. And that was the concept context of why God said, don't intermarry. And the, the, for, for you and I, the most important thing is not are they from Africa or Indonesia or China or, or New Zealand. The, the most important thing is this, are they a Christian? Mm -hmm. Do they believe in the Lord Jesus Christ? Do they have faith in the Lord Jesus Christ? And then I would take it a step further. Uh, after 16 years of marriage, 20 years of being in ministry, 12 years this year as a pastor, I would say you want to go a step further. Not only are they a Christian, but when you're looking to get married, you want to really look and dissect, do you guys agree? Do you line up in your walk with the Lord? I've seen people that, that get married and they go to separate churches. No, I don't go to his church. I don't go to her church. I see people get married and they don't know how they're going to raise their kids. And so it's just so important that you're really diving in and having conversation because the most important thing is your relationship with Jesus Christ. And that needs to be the foundation 
of how you build your marriage. What would you say, Tiff? Absolutely. I second that all the way. I think that when you're looking for a spouse, the number one thing you need to look for is are they a committed follower of Christ? And, you know, I remember when I first met Herbert and I was instantly attracted to and really it overshadowed everything else, but I was attracted to his love, his commitment, and his passion for the Lord. And when I met Herbert, he was committed to church attendance, to serving, to tithing. He was committed to growing in the Lord, and it had nothing to do with me. He wasn't doing it for me. In fact, um, he was doing this long before I even came into the picture. Um, he wasn't doing it for other people, but he did it out of a sincere desire to be more like Christ. And, um, you know, scripture says that we should love the Lord our God with all our heart, our mind, our soul, and our strength. And I found that in Herbert. He was a man who was all in passionate for the Lord. And in fact, when we started dating, our dates really revolved around God and God's house. We would go to, he'd pick me up, we'd go to church on Sunday morning. Amen. We would go on Wednesday night. Amen. Any other time Revival. that it was open. Amen. Yes. Um, we would pray for each other. Everything in our relationship the foundation was built on that we were both two people who truly loved the Lord and wanted to grow and become more like him. Yeah, it's, it's funny. Our very first date uh, was to Applebee's. Come on, somebody about them riblets. Come on now. Praise, <laughs> praise the Lord. But we went to Applebee's our very first date, and I was taking Tiffany back to her dorm room. I did not kiss her. I didn't attempt to try to kiss her. You know what I did our very first date? Is I prayed for Tiffany. And the funny thing is this, I prayed for her, sincerely just prayed for her. And she went back to her dorm room, to her roommate. She goes, he prayed for me. This is the man I'm going to marry. It's Singles, true. It's take it true. out, brothers. Right there is it. That's the key. <laughs> I just trying to help a single brother in the house. You keep trying to get a kiss, you ought to pray. You That's ought right. to pray, That's my right. brother. You ought to pray. There's a second thing as we're, we're looking at, what should you look for in a spouse? Ladies, here's what I would encourage you with. Marry a man with a job. Not talking about a job, not praying for a job, not looking for a job, but that has a job. Yep. This is so important. The, the matter of fact, this is biblical. The Bible says that, that, that God created Adam and Eve, and Eve came from his side, Adam's side, so that she could be near, dear to him and near to him. And, and, but, but, but the Bible says this, before God created Eve, after he created Adam, he gave Adam a job before he gave him a wife. And Adam had to name the animals, take care of the garden. Adam had a J-O-B before he had a wifey. Yeah. That's a little rapping for all of you, like rap right there, huh? Yeah. yeah, he had a job before he had a wife. You want to marry somebody who's hardworking, who's not afraid to work, mm -hmm. who's not afraid to hold down a job and, and to work and to provide. So marry somebody with a job. This is crude. You say, well, he just loves Jesus, but he don't work. He got to work. You can't make it on love alone. Praise the Lord. So find somebody with a job. What else would you say, babe? Yeah, I would say hand in hand with that is you want somebody who's stable. 
Um, I was attracted also to Herbert in the fact that he was stable. He had a life plan. He already was secure in his ministry and what he was doing with that. He was getting ready to graduate from college, which showed that he was willing to start something and finish it. He was stable. And I think we need to be careful that we are not dating or lining ourselves up with people who are hotheads, who are drama queens, people who like to ride the emotional roller coaster, who are unstable. Um, you know, if you think about people in your life, do they always have issues around them? Is there always drama surrounded with the people they're involved in? Do they always have something to say about somebody else? And, you know, even you look at their family. How do they treat their family, their parents? How do they talk to them? Do they respect them? You want somebody who's emotionally stable, who's just stable in life. Amen. One of the things that attracted me to Tiffany was she was not a drama queen at all. Now today, I'm just playing with you. She's still <laughs> not. Wrong. She is still not a drama. <laughs> but I was attracted to this. She is she's stable, not not drama, not high maintenance. Can how many know you can be saved and full of drama? Come on, you know some folks like that saved and high maintenance. And I just man, you wanna you wanna look for somebody. If you're going to spend the rest of your life with someone and serve the Lord together, somebody who's just not full of drama, but they have stability in their life and that's grounded around the Lord Jesus Christ. And I think it's so important that all of our singles or maybe your parent investing in a, a, a youth or a, a young adult, I would just encourage this, marry somebody who has convictions, mm -hmm. that really has deep convictions and they, they live by their convictions. Like one of the questions was, can I know I don't ever want to get married. And so you're telling me I can't have sex until I get married because I'm not going to get married. Well, this is not about how we feel. This is about what the Bible says. And the Bible says that the wonderful gift of sex that God created is for the marriage context. It's for the marriage relationship. I didn't come up with this. This is God's word. And that's a conviction I have that you need to have, that you want to marry somebody that says, I have a conviction to live by the word of God. I have morals. I, I have standards. I, I have these convictions centered around God's word. You don't try to marry somebody who's out getting high. And then somebody, well, you know, the Lord made it all. Praise the Lord. You know what I mean? Do you have any convictions? Is there any morals? Because that's going to play out in your marriage. Do, do they have godly convictions? Do they believe that the Bible is God's word? On, on another note along this whole line is you want to marry somebody who's mature. Mature. Here's what the scripture says in 1 Corinthians chapter 13 and verse number 11. Paul says, when I was a child, I spoke and thought and reasoned as a child. But when I grew up, I put away childish things. The word is this, when I grew up. Now, I think all of us realize this, that there's not a certain age to define when somebody grows up. Because how many know you can be 53 and still not grown up? And you can be 19 and grown up. And so, but you want to marry somebody who has maturity that, but when I grew up, I put away childish things. You don't want to marry somebody talking about, yeah, I just go to the club every week. I go clubbing, you know. No, really? Is that what you want to categorize and marry and, and do life with? I mean, you want somebody who has mature. I just go to the parties all the time. I play Xbox all day long. I just play Xbox. You want somebody mature. I'm 43 and still live with my mama. I mean, you want somebody mature. So I'm not, if you do that, praise God. But I'm just saying, you want somebody 
who has a level of mature, I put away childish things. And when I met Tiffany, one of the things that attracted me to her was her maturity. She was 19 years old when I met her, a freshman in college. And when I met Tiffany in, the dorm, in her dorm room, her roommate and all, they would be going out on a Friday night and hanging out and going to parties. And Tiffany, she would stay back on Friday nights. She'd journal, read the word, read books. And I couldn't believe a 19-year-old girl, peer pressure all around her, things trying to draw her away. And she was mature enough to say, no, nah, I'm not going after that life. Don't want that. I'm going to center my life around the Lord. And that maturity really attracted me to Tiffany. So what do you look for in a spouse? Man, marry somebody who has maturity. Put away the childish things. A second question is this. What are the ingredients to a successful God-honoring marriage? And we're going to go right back to the foundation. Uh, this would work if you're in a dating relationship and also when you're married. And that is this. Follow God's word. Follow God's word. Successful God-honoring marriages are built on the word of God. I believe this with all of my heart. The word of God works. If you will work the word, the word works. It works in every arena and facet of life, and it will work in the marriage relationship. Honor God's word. And the Bible has so much to say about marriage. And I could read so many scriptures to you today, but Tiffany and I, we just want to zoom in on Ephesians chapter 5 today. And it says this in Ephesians 5 and verse 22. It says, for wives. In other words, husbands, this is not your part. Husbands, you don't go around throwing this verse out at your wife and saying, this is what as the Bible says. No, this is for, for it, the scripture starts off, for wives. This means submit to your husbands as to the Lord. And since it says for wives, I'm going to leave this verse alone and hand it right over to <laughs> Tiffany. Yes. Well, you know, God's word in this verse is clear. And as you read Ephesians, we know that God has appointed husbands as the spiritual leaders of the home. But that doesn't mean that as women, we don't have brains or that we are less valuable or that we don't have opinions. It doesn't mean that I don't make decisions. Um, what it means is that God has an order. And as Herbert said, God's word works. And so for Herbert and I, Everything is a discussion. We work as a team in our marriage. Um, now, honestly, there are times when we may disagree on something, and I choose to follow Herbert's leadership. Does that mean it's easy? No. Sometimes it is not easy. I have to beat my flesh down. But what I know is that obeying and following God's word leads to happiness and fullness in your marriage. As Herbert said powerfully last week, that marriage is not about happiness, it's about your holiness. And so I just encourage you ladies here today to follow God's word because he blesses those that follow closely after him. And I just encourage you to do that in your marriage because we operate that way and it's a beautiful thing. Yeah. And the Bible says that the husband's the the head of the house, and, but the wife is the neck. How many know at times the, the neck turns the head, praise the Lord? And so, yeah, that happens in our marriage as well. But we work as a team. We work as, as a unit, but yet in every team, the Bible, uh, even in our society, there's always a coach, a head coach, and assistant coaches. And so in a home, God just put order together so that there would be unity versus chaos. Uh, the Bible goes on to say in Ephesians 5, verse 25, it says, for husbands, this is not for the wives, 
This is not for the wise to write down and put a Bible verse and stick it on his windshield as he leaves out in the morning. This is not, no, that's not what this is for. This is for the husband. For husbands, this means love your wives just as Christ loved the church. He gave up his life for her. Can I tell you, that is a powerful and difficult scripture to live. That Jesus loved the church so much that he gave his life up for her. He, he sacrificed his life, a sacrificial love. And that's how we're supposed to love our wives, as sacrificial, laying down our life, putting our wife before us. Matter of fact, it goes on to say in Ephesians 5, it says, he who loves his wife loves himself. Like, what? It didn't say he who loves himself loves his wife. No, if you love your wife, you love yourself. If you cherish her and honor her and sacrifice for her, put her before you, take care of her, protect her, nurture her. And that's not always easy because, I mean, you know, sometimes your wife will get on your nerves. Oh, come on. And, and she's not perfect and neither are you. And you think, she don't deserve you don't deserve me to sacrifice my life and lay down my life. Not today, you don't. You know That's what I'm true. saying? You, I mean, you do. You feel that. And you want but to, but to line up with the word and say, you know what? The word works. Mm -hmm. And you know what to say? The number one goal of marriage, the number one goal of a Christian life is not my happiness, but my holiness. Mm -hmm. It's to be more like Jesus. And if I'll be more like Jesus, he'll make us have a blessed, happy, prosperous marriage. Mm -hmm. But it happens by lining my life up with the word of God, and it's not always easy. Uh, another ingredient to a successful God-honoring marriage is know thy spouse. Know thy spouse. I thought it would get a little King James version in there for somebody today. Know thy spouse. I would encourage you, if you haven't read a, a couple of books, His Needs, Her Needs, uh, Another great book to read is The, the, the Five Love Languages, uh, of just knowing who your spouse is, knowing your top needs, knowing your spouse's top needs. You have to know each other uh, so you can uh, love each other right, make each other happy. And so my, here, are, here are my top, my top needs in our, in our marriage relationship. Number one for me is respect. And for a lot of men, that's, that's important, but just for my wife to have a respect for me, that's, that's the most important thing, number, number one. Number two for me is acts of service. And so in the five love languages, it talks about uh, the different, uh, different love languages. One of my top love languages is acts of service. So it makes me happy if I have clean underwear. I mean, I feel blessed. I got a clean T-shirt. I'm like, what's up? Praise the Lord. It is good. I love you, girl. I don't have a clean T-shirt and underwear. I'm kind of like, what's happening, babe? What's going on? I don't feel his love if my drawers are clean. Amen. You know what I mean? I just, that's just me. That's just me. I'm an acts of service kind of a guy. And, and number three for me is intimacy. Um, that, that's, that's important uh, for me. And Tiff, what would be your top three? Yes. Um, my top um, need is unconditional love. It's very important to me that I feel that he loves me just the way I am. We are very different people. Um, on certain levels, and so... Many levels. Many levels, <laughs> and um, as he said, I mean, there are days I annoy him. There are days that I make mistakes, and so for me, I need to know that he loves me no matter what, on the days that are good, the days that are not so good, that his love for me is unconditional. Um, a second one is security. 
Um, that is a top need for me to feel secure in what we have. And so as long as we're doing good, if we're secure, everything else feels good in my world. If this is off, everything else feels off. So that's very important to me. That's a top need of mine. And the third one, and this goes to the book he referred to, The Five Love Languages, is quality time. Um, I need those moments with him where we are connecting on a deep level. Um, where we do date nights, which allows us to do that. We do getaways, and then we just talk a lot. And it's those focused times of conversation um, that are quality to me, that are quality times to connect. And I would say on this note, that you also need to be aware that seasons change. And so my top needs have changed over time. Um, from when we got married in 1997 to now, you know, we've had four kids, um, responsibilities have changed. And so that kind of sometimes can change what your top needs are, which yeah. I think is good to be aware of. I would say too, it's so important that you love your spouse, not out of, based on your needs, mm -hmm but you love them on what they need. Because it's not, if you're not careful, yeah. uh, you know, as men, we say respect is maybe number one for you, and you go, well, I'm going to give her respect because that's what she needs. Or for you, man, it's intimacy, sex, and you're like, that's number two for me. Now they say, look at here, girl, that's going to be what you need for me. And that's not, you know, so if you're not careful, you'll start loving your spouse based on your top needs. Mm -hmm. And really, for her or for him to be happy is to find out what their top needs are and to love them based on what they need, not based on what you need. And that leads me to, 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 to the next uh, key ingredient to a successful God-honoring marriage, and that would be communication. Yeah. And that is something that is just key. And after 16 years of, of marriage and just pastoring now for almost 12 years and ministry for 20 and just interacting with a lot of people, uh, this is a weakness for just a lot of married couples. It's just mm -hmm. communication, good, healthy communication. And I'll just let Tiff kind of talk about it a little bit. Um, absolutely. I realized very soon after we got married that this was a weakness that I was unaware of in my life. Um, I grew up in an incredible family, and we were close. We did a lot together. But what I soon discovered is we actually didn't have deep, honest conversations about how things made us feel, or what was going on in our hearts. And so I married a man who is an over-communicator. Like, he's like, I don't know that you can find somebody who communicates more than Herbert. And so it forced me to have these conversations that were uncomfortable, that were painful. I think I cried more in that first year of marriage and our conversations than I can remember ever crying because for me, I wanted so much to be a great wife and to know that there were areas where he wanted improvement or change in our marriage made me feel like I was failing miserably, which is not what he was trying to communicate. But it can be a very difficult thing to have honest, brutal, transparent conversations. But the conversations are needed if you're going to have an intimate, close, healthy, God-honoring marriage. And um, quickly, three things that I soon discovered about communication in my life is that it's not easy. I soon discovered that having these honest conversations were always going to involve sometimes that gut-wrenching, I don't want to hear this, it means that I need to change. Um, a lot of tears. It's not easy, 
but it is vital. Um, the second thing I learned um, in communication is that it was going to cause me to go away from my natural instinct. So naturally, I wanted to stuff my feelings, not talk about them, when in reality, that was the worst thing that I could do. So for me personally, even now, after being married 16 years, I have to will myself to initiate these conversations because I know that it's healthy and it's needed. It's still uncomfortable for me, but I know that I need to do it. And I'm always thankful that I did afterwards. And the third thing I just want to encourage you with on communication that I've learned is that it does cost you something. And it means that you have to lay yourself open for, before your spouse to hear things that maybe you don't want to hear about yourself. But if you're going to have the best marriage that you can have, it is worth the price. It is worth the investment so that you can have a loving, God-honoring, transparent, amazing marriage. Oh, totally. And I would say when Tiffany and I got married because of our family background, she grew up in a family that didn't talk. Yeah. And I grew up in a family that talked and talked loud. Like, ah! And so we grew up just totally. I remember when we first got married, I would talk to Tiffany. She goes, you're yelling at me. I'm like, no, baby, you don't know what yelling is. You have no idea. It was more idea. like crying like you're what yelling, yelling is. But, and so it has been an area. I say that to say we have both just grown yeah. immensely over the years and continue to grow. We are not there by any means. We just realize how important it is. We're two imperfect people yeah. living for Jesus and been willing to talk. In, in a lot of marriages, there are those hidden areas, those taboo subjects. Mm -hmm. We're just not going to talk about it. It's the elephant in the room, but we're never going to talk about it. And we just decided, you know, we're still going to talk about it. Mm -hmm. And it's not easy always. Uh, sometimes it takes hours of talking. Sometimes I don't like what I'm hearing. But we're going to talk about it. Whether it's the hurts, Where's the pain, the disagreement, intimacy, kids? We just, we just, mm -hmm. we talk about it. And one of the best things that you could do is just really remove the hidden areas and have honest, raw conversation yeah. uh, in your marriage. And it's just one of those key ingredients to a God-honoring marriage. And maybe you need some help. Maybe you need mm -hmm. to get some counseling, go somebody that can help you work through so that you can get some communication happening and to get some strength to the marriage. Uh, a fourth key ingredient to a successful God-honoring marriage is build and protect trust. And I, I'll let Tiffany kind of start off on build and protect trust. Yes. Um, from the moment we got married, we established very strong boundaries for our marriage. And in fact, we have frequently been called the extreme couple. Oh, they're just overboard. You know, they're the weird couple. Um, but these boundaries that we have set have established incredible trust for us in our marriage. And I'll just share three of them. There's more, but the three top ones um, are this, that we do not have friendships with the opposite sex. I am not developing relationships with other men. I'm not going to meet another man for lunch. I'm not going to text or call another man to see how he's doing today or how his work. We do not develop we do not establish friendships with members of the opposite sex. Um, in line with that is we do not allow ourselves to be alone with the opposite sex. So that is something that's a strict boundary for us. And the third one um, is that for us 
to have complete transparency and openness. Um, we share passwords for everything, passwords to our phone, passwords to email, to all social media accounts. I can log on to anything on Herbert's phone or computer or whatever network and log in and see what's on there. And he can do the same for me. And we like that because we like that we value and protect our marriage so much that we can trust each other with the information. Yeah, and the scripture says in Corinthians, 1 Corinthians 13, love trust. Love protects. Mm -hmm. And trust is just so foundational. And one of the questions someone asked was about this whole thing of trust and saying, you know what, um, I feel like I should be able to hang out with a person of the opposite sex and be great friends. And my, 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 my spouse should not care. They should just, they're insecure. I would say, no, no. I'd be insecure too. Tiffany was hanging out with somebody. I'm like, what was y'all talking about? <laughs> What did it say? How long were you there? Really? You went where afterwards? We're just not going there. Why would we want to do that to our marriage? And so we just want to protect our marriage, protect trust. It is just so, so foundational to our marriage. And we're extreme. Some people say, You're Tiffany can go out in the, into the next room where my phone is, and she knows to pull it right up. I mean, she has every password. And matter of fact, I don't, I don't even have the ability to download apps on my iPhone. My wife does, and Shane, who works with me, does. He does, and my wife, that's it. And my wife can put, down, put, on, put apps on, lock me out, keep me out. Do, I, mean, she, I mean, I just, I like that. And it's just so key that you're just open with one another and building trust and protecting it. And I, let me just, uh, some of the questions, so I wanted to address this really quick, is how do you rebuild trust when it's been broken? Mm -hmm. I realize some of you are maybe in a marriage that trust has been broken. And what do you do when trust has been broken? And, and the first thing I just would say is just admit it. You just have to admit it. Because denial only leads to more mistrust. If, if you try to justify it, or some, some people try to blame their spouse. Well, it's my spouse's fault that I made a poor decision. And you just got to admit it so that you can start dealing with the mistrust. Uh, number two is this, talk about what made you do it. Talk about it. You know, may, maybe it was a struggle or, or loneliness or an addiction that you're dealing with and perhaps still dealing with that your spouse may not know about, uh, another issue. But, 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 but talk about what made you do what you did to break trust, and that way you can actually get some help. You can get some help, some accountability in, in, in your life. Uh, your spouse can help you. Others can help you. And number three is this. Realize trust is earned, not automatically given. It's earned, not automatically given. And what happens when trust is broken, uh, oftentimes one, one of the spouses will, will go, well, you don't trust me? It's been three months. It's been two weeks. Trust me. It's been four months. Trust me. But trust has been broken. And trust is one of those things that's earned. It's not just automatically given. And so be patient, knowing that trust is earned and automatically given once it's broken. And a fourth thing is earn back trust by consistently making the right decisions. Consistently making the right decisions. In other words, to really build trust and build it back, you can't say, well, I made good choices two weeks ago. Last week I was a little off. This week I might do a little better. And we'll, we'll see what happens three weeks from now. You just can't build trust that way. You have to consistently make the right decisions to rebuild trust that's been broken. And, and, and the fifth thing that I would say is just be an open book. Oftentimes when trust has been broken, it's because there's areas of secrecy, privacy, 
This is my life. I got hidden there. This is mine. This is none of your business. And when you do that, it's going to be tough to rebuild trust unless you say, I'm opening it all up. And you can't have all my accounts. You can't have all my passwords. You can, have, you can look at my phone anytime you want to look at my phone. You can get on my Facebook account anytime you want. It's yours. It's, it's there. It's, your, it's yours. It's living an open life. You know, where, you can know where I'm at at all times. Living an open book life to help rebuild trust. And I'll close out with this one on key ingredients to a successful God-honoring marriage. Uh, another key ingredient is stay focused on your priorities. Stay focused on your priorities. Every marriage is going to end up somewhere, but few marriages end up somewhere on purpose because they don't live by priorities. Every marriage is headed in a direction. Right now, your marriage is headed in a direction, and it will end up somewhere, but very few end up somewhere on purpose. And really the question that I would just ask every married couple, all of you dating and gays, if you're looking at getting married, where do you want your marriage to end up? Tiffany and I, we, we've made that decision. We said, here's where we want to end up years from now if the Lord tarries, the Lord Jesus does not come back for his church. Here's where we want to end up. And we backed all the way up and said, now, here we are. How do we ensure that we end up here? What do we do? What are priorities do we put in place so we end up here? For us, the big things for us is we want to come to the end of our marriage. We want to be in our 70s or 80s, 90s, and we want to really love Jesus. We want to really have Jesus as the head of our life. How do we do that? How do we honor him, stand his word, stay close to Jesus in prayer and in church? And that, that's key for us. What's huge for us at the end of our life, we want to be madly in love with one another. I want to be with my girl, wrinkled up, iced tea on the front porch, rocking with my dentures on. That is my dream. So that's what I, that's, I desire, that I want, to, I want to finish well with Tiffany. A, a, a third thing is I want us to have our integrity. That's just huge for us. I want to leave this church in my 60s. you got a long time to put it with me if Jesus tarries. I'm only 38. But I want to leave here with the same woman I came in with, with our integrity. That's just huge for us is guarding our integrity, walking out with our integrity. Uh, a fourth thing is with us is we want our kids to really love Jesus and to serve Jesus with passion. And so we, we say, here's where we want to end up. Here's where we want our kids to end up. We back all the way up and say, what do we have to do every day so that we can make sure and ensure that our kids are going to know the ways of the Lord and follow the Lord. And the third thing for us, or the last thing for us, I should say, is we want our grandkids to serve the Lord. We don't have them yet, but we're thinking with legacy in mind. And we want our kids, when they don't have to come home, to want to come home. So when they're grown and they can choose not to come home for Christmas, not to come home for Thanksgiving, not to come home when they have a week of vacation, we want them to come home. We want to create an environment for them to desire to come back to. And that's where we want to end up. Everything else flows out of that. Yes, having a thriving ministry, seeing more lives change, seeing more people come to Christ, but it all flows out of our priorities of we, where we want our life to end up. Every marriage ends up somewhere. Few marriages end up somewhere on purpose. Where do you want your marriage to end up and make the priorities now so that your marriage can end up where you desire it to?